uh, misunderstand the difference between believing and trusting. And uh, a lot of people uh, believe that there is a God, that God can do anything. And yet so oftentimes we fail to trust Him. Trust is one of those things that is easy to speak about and to define. It's very, very difficult to practice. And uh, probably one of the hardest things that we have to do day in and day out is trust Him. Uh, And that means even when we don't understand it, we still have to trust Him. And I was talking with somebody just recently, and they were dealing with some of the, the things that are happening in the world today. They said, how can I believe that there's a God when all of these things are going on? And I shared with them a little bit of the consequences of sin and how that's what's causing all of this today. I said, you know, at the end of the day, the the main thing is we've got to be able to trust God through it. If you ask me if I understand it all, I'll tell you, no, I don't understand it all. But I understand enough that I can trust that He understands it all. And I can trust Him that He's got it in control. And um, be praying God will give us opportunities. A number of folks just recently that uh, I've talked to that um, have a very difficult time coming to a place of understanding and and trusting. And be praying as uh, the Lord opens those opportunities. And and ask God to open opportunities for for all of us each each week, each day, uh, to share the gospel and that He'll... Uh, bring to remembrance uh, to our hearts and minds the things that are needful to be said. That His Holy Spirit will work in the heart uh, while we're talking with that person. And uh, help them to understand and to, to have it confirmed in their hearts that this is truth. And to understand that and to know that uh, in their heart of hearts. Lord willing, we're going to uh, teach a lesson this morning and, and come to God's Word uh, on a subject that I don't know that I've heard taught before, uh, at least on a, in, in its entirety on a uh, just a single service, uh, being deal, dealing with it, and um, that is the issue of um, our praying versus the free will of man. Uh, there are times when we pray, and, and this is um, something that sometimes we have a very difficult time with because we pray that God will reach the heart of someone that we're talking to or praying for. And yet there's free will involved. And how do we, how do we reconcile the two? How do we bring them to pass? And uh, I'm going to try to teach some things about prayer this morning and uh, hopefully that we will... Uh, learn enough from it that we'll understand somewhat. I, I don't know that we can uh, fully teach on the subject nor fully understand it, maybe until we get to heaven, uh, why such things um, are so, but they are. And uh, we're going to start this, 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 this morning in Luke chapter number 11, if you'll turn there with me. <coughs> Luke chapter number 11. And uh, we're going to begin... Uh, reading in verse number 1, read uh, down through probably around verse number 13 or so. Luke chapter number 11. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, 
Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. I'm going to pause there for a minute, and we're going to finish reading in just a minute. I think there's two things, and this is not part of the message, but two things that strike me out of this verse. Number one is uh, that Jesus prayed in such a way that when his disciples saw him pray, they wanted it. They said, Lord, teach us that. We want to be able to do that too. His prayer was, was so fervent, so perfect. The second thing I think that is vital to, in, to, to note here is that out of all the things that the disciples asked the Lord to teach them, the main thing that they asked Him to teach them was to pray. He taught them how to be soul winners, but they didn't ask Him to teach them how to be soul winners. He taught them to give, but He didn't ask them to teach them how to give. He taught them how to pray. And as He teaches them how to pray, the Bible says in verse number uh, verse number uh, uh, 2, And He said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he shall from within, uh, he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. As I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will uh, he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Father, we pray that you'll bless the message of this morning. And Lord, teach us some things about prayer. Help us to have at least a better understanding as we leave here today of the uh, importance of understanding how praying and uh, the way that you have taught in Scripture and how uh, our free will seem to, uh, on the surface, conflict, and yet we understand that there's a, a tie between them that cannot be broken. I pray that you would help us to learn these things and to see them clearly from your Word. We pray that you'll allow your Holy Spirit to bring great insight and help us to clearly illuminate your truth. And Lord, help us this morning to rightly divide your word. And we will leave here with our hearts uh, refreshed and changed in the area of our praying. And Father, that we would be able to pray more according to your will and along uh, the lines of what you would have us to pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Prayer is a, a rather interesting subject in Scripture. I, uh, I find it curious oftentimes that God uh, commands us to pray. In fact, it's a very, very important part of the Christian's life. 
The idea that by prayer and by reading Scripture, we grow spiritually. But if you think about what prayer is, is it's us coming to God and laying our petition, laying our need at His feet and asking for His help in the situation. And yet to recognize God as the one that can hear and answer prayer in and of itself is one of those things that we struggle with understanding. Because we believe that God knows our hearts. He knows already what the burden of our heart is before we ever come to Him. He knows the need. There's not one request that we ever bring to God that He's like, oh, I didn't know that. He knows what our needs are. And yet He gives us this idea of praying. It's, it's a very interesting concept. And I've often wondered why, as I've, I've, I've pondered it and thought of this, and the only thing I can come up with is that God does not uh, command us to pray for His benefit. I believe He does it for our benefit, because God doesn't need us to pray in order for Him to know what our needs are, what our burdens are. But by us praying, we are able to come to Him and express our faith and our trust that He's able to meet that request. The, the problems I think that we face most often in praying is faithless praying. Uh, knowing that we're supposed to pray, we pray out of obedience or out of obligation or out of the fact that the Bible tells us that we're to pray. But how often do we come to God in prayer really not expecting God to answer that prayer? Uh, we really are kind of like, well, if He answers this one, it's, it's going to be a, a, a long shot. It's going to be a chance way out there that He'll answer this one. So I believe it's an interesting thing that the disciples come to the Lord and they say, Lord, uh, teach us to pray. We don't just want to know that we're supposed to. We want to know how to do it. And I think of all the things that we as God's people ought to give ourselves to learning and understanding and studying from Scripture, it ought to be the subject of praying. And one of the most powerful tools I think that the Christian has at his disposal is to be able to come into the very throne room of God and to converse with Him one-on-one and to spend that time with Him. We find as we get to this portion of Scripture in Luke that there are two instances that are spoken of after he tells the disciples how to, the manner to pray in. And the first one we find in verse number 5 and following, and he speaks here of the fact that there is a prayer that is done or an asking that is done by way of importunity. And the word importunity is a, a big word. It just simply means that you don't give up on it. And he uses a parable here or a story to illustrate, and he says that, uh, you know, some of you may be able to relate to this, that there's a friend that has somebody come into town to be a guest with them, and uh, late into the night when it's inconvenient for you, uh, they come and they ask you a favor uh, because they have a friend that's come from out of town and they need some help with it. And Jesus gives them this uh, illustration in verse number 7. Uh, and he says about the fact that uh, he comes and he has nothing to set before him and he asks something of you. In verse number 7 it says, And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity. In other words, he says, listen, your friend may not do it just because he's your friend, but if you keep knocking and you don't let him sleep, eventually he'll say, you know what, I'm going to get up and do it. Now, understand this, that that is a rather interesting parable that Christ gives. Because he gives a second story or illustration in verse number 11 that I think is, if we're not careful, we'll look at him and we'll say, don't those conflict, don't those contradict one another. 
Look with me, if you will, in verse number 11. He says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Then he makes this statement, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? In the first story, we find it's an issue of a relationship of friendship that takes place. In the second story, we find there's a relationship of a father and children. Both of them teaching something. One of them saying that uh, there's a reluctance there or perhaps there's something that is hindering uh, this friend from giving the request that you ask of him and that it takes importunity to receive from that friend the thing that you need or want. In the second story, it speaks of the fact that if we being evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall the Heavenly Father give to Him that the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? The idea being that God's will, God's desire is to answer our prayers. To be able to give the thing that we ask for, and, and, and certainly not something that we need to be importunate about, but something that He desires to do for us. And if we look at these two stories on the heels of Him teaching the disciples to pray, we say, well, isn't there a conflict there? If He longs to give us the desires of our hearts, and if He longs to give us the things that we've prayed for according to His will, why is it that in one case He longs to give it to us, and in the other case He's teaching about the fact that it may take some importunity to receive it? And I think all of this, as I've studied Scripture and tried to understand all of this together, I think that there is a distinction that is made here in the teaching on prayer that Christ speaks of. One of them being that there are things that we pray for, obviously things that are needful to us, uh, that oftentimes He just longs to give us and He'll give them to us right away. But there are certain things that take some importunity, not because He lacks to give it to us. And while this parable is given here in verse number 5 and following, uh, there is almost an, an imperfection in the, uh, the full analogy, and parables don't always line completely up with uh, the illustration being made, in that this friend is saying, well, don't bother me, I'm, I'm tired, I'm in bed, I'm with my children. We never come to God and God is tired. We never come to God and He's too busy for us. So that's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is there are some times that it takes importunity to receive the things that are needful. And that's the point of the teaching of what the Lord Jesus Christ is showing His disciples here. There are certain things that when we pray and we ask God to do, they are not done. And the Bible tells us what some of those things, why some of those things are. And I want us to look at several of them. We're going to look at another passage here just shortly. But look first with me in the book of James, chapter number 4. We're going to kind of lay some groundwork. And then, Lord willing, at the very end of the message, we'll draw some conclusions based on some other Scripture. And uh, as we tie it all together, I want us to try to see all of this. James chapter number 4. James speaks of two different things that will hinder our prayers being answered. In verse number 2 of chapter 4, he says, Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war. <clears throat> Notice he says this, Yet ye have not, because ye ask not. There's one certain way to not get your prayers answered. 
and that is to don't ask. If you don't ask the Lord for the need, I, I, I have, uh, I, I, li- I like to stay busy. I try to stay busy. And, uh, and there's always work to be done. As a pastor, there's always work to be done. There's a list of things. And there are some things that are very, very important and time-sensitive and pressing, but other things that they can, they, can, they can be put off if something more important comes up. And I don't know how many times I've had people come to me and say, Well, Pastor, uh, I didn't want to bother you with it because I know you're always busy. Well, yes, I am always busy. I, I try to always stay busy. But the truth is, a lot of the always being busy is work that just needs to be done, and it can be done any other time. And I've always tried to tell folks, listen, don't let that stop you from calling me. Uh, that's what I'm here for. If, if all I do is sit in my office waiting for the phone to ring, for folks to say, uh, Pastor, I knew you had some free time, now can you help me? Uh, you all look at me and say, well, he's a worthless preacher. He doesn't do anything. He just sits around all day. Uh, but, so there's always some busy things that I'm doing and involved in. But I don't ever want people to say, well, you're too busy. And, and I'm afraid sometimes we, we get this human mindset towards God that He's dealing with so much stuff, I don't want to bother Him with these little things. I don't want to bother Him with the things that are probably pressing in my life. And there are times that we don't come to God. And I don't know how many times I've had somebody come and, and uh, uh, mention a need and say, uh, Pastor, I've got this need. And I'll ask, well, have you prayed for it yet? Well, I haven't yet, but... Well, why are you telling the pastor first? That's my question. Why aren't we telling God about it first? Why isn't He our first source? And so James speaks to the fact here that uh, you have not because you ask not. And this will be a certain uh, uh, time where God will not give that, that need because we haven't asked for it. Uh, look at another one here. Verse number 3. He said, "Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own lusts. He says, well, then the times that you do ask, you're asking for the wrong motive. You're asking so uh, you can consume it on your lust and the things that you want and just things that you know, you're know you just desiring of, uh, things that benefit you and without the thought of anything else. I think one of the things that uh, we've got to be so careful of is when we do pray, uh, what is our motive for praying? What is our motive for praying? There are times uh, I have been in, in, in situations and in colleges where the amount of people that you shared the gospel with or the amount of people that you got to pray a sinner's prayer was priority. And I would hear men sometimes in the times where we come together and have prayer meetings Speak of the fact, Lord, uh, help me to have so many people that I can share the gospel with or so many people that I can have trust the Lord. And you knew when they prayed it that their only reason was so they could get up in the next meeting and brag about what they had done. There was no brokenness for the soul of the man they were praying for. There's no brokenness for the person that they were speaking about and praying for that they would get saved or that you would have the opportunity to share the gospel with. I believe these are the types of prayers that oftentimes God doesn't deal with. He, he, he sets them aside and says, you know what, there's, there's a wrong purpose, a wrong motive here. We ask sometimes, and we ask, the Bible speaks of this, that we ask amiss. And because of that, we receive not. 
because we desire to consume it upon our own lusts. Look with me, if you will, in Psalm chapter 66, all the way back in the Old Testament. Psalm 66. I believe there's another reason why our prayers are not answered. And and we could give many, many uh, things from Scripture. I'm just going to give you several of them by way of uh, establishing this fact. Psalm 66, and let's look in verse number 18. The Bible says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. We live a life where we are knowingly in, in, involved in sin and we regard it and we long for it. And it's the desire of our hearts to follow a sinful lifestyle. Uh, the Bible speaks of this thing of the Lord not hearing us. And understand this, that when He says the Lord will not hear me, it doesn't mean that He can't hear us. It means that He chooses not to intervene on our behalf because we're regarding that iniquity in our hearts. You cannot live like the world and expect to have power with God on our knees. You can't live in a life of sin and expect the power of God to rest upon us. To see the mighty hand of God at work on our behalf. There needs to be a disregard for iniquity. There needs to be a disdain for it. There needs to be an eschewing of it. A purifying, a consecrating of our lives. For A lot of times I believe that sin is the hindrance of our prayer life. Oh, that we would learn to get that cleansing, get that, that heart that is cleared with its conscience, and then come to the throne of grace. Look with me, if you will, in Matthew chapter number 17. Matthew chapter number 17. And let's look in verse number 14. Matthew chapter 17, verse number 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I... Uh, be with you, how long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto him, unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall be removed, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Howbeit, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. There, there, were, there were several things that were given in this particular passage where God said the disciples had desired something and uh, had prayed for it and yet had not received it. And he starts off by saying it started with their unbelief. I believe this is one of the most detrimental things when it comes to our prayer life is that we pray <coughs> knowing it's what we're supposed to do. We pray having been taught in church that prayer is the important thing. It ought to be the first thing. It ought to be the steering wheel and not the spare tire. It ought to be the, the, the first thing that we do. And you can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you've prayed. And we understand and, and we've heard it preached and we've taken it to heart and we've said prayer is the main thing. And then we come to God in prayer. 
only because we know it's the main thing and it's the first thing we're supposed to do. But without belief, without trusting Him, when, where is the, the fervency in prayer that comes from a, a boldness knowing that not only is God capable, but we're trusting that He will? I like what Elisha did when Elijah was taken up into, into heaven in the whirlwind. And the Bible says that his cloak had fallen from him. And as, they, as Elisha was leaving the scene, he had to cross over the brook that Elijah had already parted the waters on and they had crossed earlier. And he takes the cloak of Elijah and he smites the water with it and he says, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? We need some Christians that can rise up and say, we not only believe God can answer prayer, but we trust that He will. James speaks of this. He says, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's unbelief in our life. There's the, the lack of effectual and fervent prayer. We spoke a little bit about this the other night in our college uh, course. We were speaking on the, 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 the price of revival and the idea of the fact that we don't pray as we ought. The fact that we are so enamored, we're so comfortable in the day that we live. We live in a very modernistic society full of uh, creature comforts, and we love living at the level that we live at. We don't like to be inconvenienced. We don't like to pay the price. We don't like to be wearied. We don't like to be, uh, 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 um, pay, pay a cost for what we receive in those things. <clears throat> and uh, one of the things that we brought up in this discussion is then why don't we start a prayer time? Why don't we start a prayer group? And, and I think that's a great thing. I really do. I love prayer meetings. When I pastored down in Florida, every Monday night we had a prayer meeting in our church. And <coughs> we would come together and pray together. And there was a sweetness with that. And I love those times of things. But the truth is, and we made this statement the other night, that our, our public praying and our public prayer times will never be what they're supposed to be until we have saturated our private prayer closets. So we've had the time, we're on our faces before God, there's been a fervency, there's been a boldness to come to the throne of grace and to not only believe that God is capable, but to trust that He will do it, that He's going to do it. You say, will He succeed at doing it, or will He do it every time? Not necessarily. We still have to consider man's free will. And that's what we want to talk about here for just a few moments. I believe there are a lot of things in this world, a lot of necessities in our life, that we ought to pray boldly for and trusting God for and expect Him to give them and to answer them. But when it comes to the free will of man, God never overrides the free will of man because of our praying. It is one of the things that perhaps is very grieving to our hearts because wouldn't it be wonderful if we could claim these same promises and say, wouldn't it be wonderful that if we pray that God will get the hold of that heart, that God will get a hold of that heart. And that that person, will, that person will come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps it will change the way we pray. Understanding and knowing that God will not overrule the free will of man. God will not force somebody. I've known people that have had their lives wrecked and ruined and on the, on the rocks of, of sin and into addictions and into drugs and into all kinds of things. And we would pray for them as a church. Lord, deliver them out of those things. And Lord, clean their life up. I'm not so sure that those were the right ways to pray. Because God will never override that person's free will. I think a more correct way perhaps to pray would be, Lord, 
Would Your Holy Spirit bring conviction to their heart? Father, help them to understand, to have their eyes open, to realize the situation that they're in. Because here's what happens many times. When we pray the wrong way uh, towards a, something that would be against the free will of a man, and then it's not answered the way we've prayed, we begin to lose faith in God. You say, but Pastor, I wouldn't lose faith in God. Uh, do we not? Though, really? Well, we talk to our friends, well, I've been praying. And, and, and you know what? I've even been fasting. I've been fervent. I've not seen God answer my prayer yet. Maybe the prayer is the wrong kind of a prayer. Because there is a few things that we certainly absolutely know from Scripture. And I want us to see those very quickly. Look with me, if you will, in Galatians chapter number 3. Galatians chapter number 3. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 6. Galatians chapter 3, and and I've got the wrong passage written down here. I'm sorry. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. I do have one in Galatians, but I have obviously written down the wrong wrong verse. I apologize for that. Let's go to Revelation chapter 3 because it teaches the same thing. Revelation chapter 3. Galatians chapter number 3, in verse number, uh, let's go to verse number 20. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 20. Perhaps one of the best verses I can think of that shows God's allowance of the free will of man, God not forcing Himself. The background of this verse, the context of this verse, is a church as in the city of Laodicea, they think themselves to be rich and increased with goods and having need of nothing. They think of themselves as a spiritual giant, that they have arrived spiritually. By the way, we need to be careful in that area. I've known people that have been saved a long time, studied the Scriptures a long time, and if we're not careful, we'll get the idea that we've arrived spiritually. You know, the thing I have found in Scripture and the thing I've found in my own life and the thing I've certainly seen in the Apostle Paul's life is the further along he got in his growth, the more he realized he was lacking. The more he realized the chief, chiefest of sinners that he was. And we find here this church that has, out of their immaturity, has visualized themselves as a spiritual church, a church that is rich, increased with good, had need of nothing. They would be considered one of the, the vibrant, growing churches of our day if we were to take it by human Um, uh, measurements. And yet God comes to them in verse number 20 and He says this to the pastor of the church of Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's a pretty telling statement when it comes to God speaking to a church. Why in the world is God outside the church? Why is He outside the church? Why is He outside of the hearts of men? Because men have a free will. I like what Paul said in Romans chapter number 12 when he told them to present themselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
The reason is we're to present it to God. God never takes the life from us. God never comes to us as a, as a Christian. And once we trust Him as a Savior, He never comes to us with the, the conscription notice saying, you're now bound to serve Me. He says, I want you to willingly, because of love, serve Me. I, I want you, because of all that I've done for you, I want you to love Me enough to serve Me. If you love Me, He says, you'll keep My commandments. Why? Because He's not going to interfere with the free will of man. By the way, He doesn't interfere with the free will of man when it comes to salvation either. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should what? Come to repentance. He doesn't force them. He doesn't make them. He doesn't predestinate some to be saved and some not to be saved. He gives every man a free will. John chapter 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he starts verse 20 with this phrase, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why? Because it's their free will. They can either choose to have a relationship and fellowship with God, or they can choose to push Him out. And by the way, every person has that same free will. We wouldn't want it any other way. So what does that teach us? That there are some things that we pray for. It's a burden on our heart. Maybe it's the electric bill, the phone bill. We pray for it. We leave it at God's feet and say, Lord, this is my burden. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. And the passage that says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you, is dealing with those material things. But that does not mean that when it comes to the salvation of a person, or it comes to the, the, the uh, getting their life straightened out, that we pray one time, leave it at God's feet, and never pray for it again. We now begin to pray, and we pray continuously. Lord, may Your Holy Spirit work on their heart. Why? Because there are some that come not forth but by prayer and fasting. There are some that only by way of importunity will be answered. And you're not praying for that person to make a change. But you're praying for God to make a change in that person. Lord, work in their hearts. Help them to see. Open their eyes that they can see these things. That's why we should never give up when praying for people. There's a particular person in my life, in my heart, that I've been praying for for a number of years. They're still lost. They're a dear friend of mine. We have great times talking together, and I've shared the gospel many, many times with them. They know the gospel story inside and out. But they've never trusted Him as their Savior nor do they have a desire to. Until that person dies and goes off into eternity, or until I die and go off into eternity, I will continue to pray and pray fervently for them. Because as long as there is breath in their life, there's still an opportunity for them to come to Christ. And I don't want the Holy Spirit of God to say, I... The Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit of God, that He will not always strive with man. I want to, as long as there's somebody to, to intercede on His behalf and, and give a, a prayer of supplication to them, for them, to say, Lord, don't give up on them. May Your Holy Spirit continue to work in their life. And is it disappointing sometimes to watch year after year after year as they continue down that, that path? Yes, it is. 
And if we're not careful, and if we don't understand this idea between praying and casting our care on God and leaving it with Him, and the things that deal with the free will of man that we are to be importunate about, if we don't understand the difference between the two, we'll begin to get frustrated that God has not answered our prayer. We'll begin to, we'll begin to lose faith. Whether we like to admit it or not, we'll say, well, I prayed and prayed, and I even was fervent. I even was fasting and praying. I've prayed all night. I've missed meals, and yet God did not. We need to understand that when God works, He works on the inner man. When we pray, we ought to pray, Lord, work on the heart. We can't see that heart. We don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing inside of there. And it could be for all those years that we pray, maybe 15, 20, 30 years sometimes, that every time we pray, there's a renewed pricking of the heart. The Holy Spirit sins. We need to be importunate in those areas. And we need not to be discouraged when we don't see it answered the way we've been praying. I've had parents come to me and say, Brother Greg, I've been praying for my kids for years that they'd get right with God. It's wrong prayer. I'm not saying that's not our desire and that's what the need is. But perhaps the prayer should be, Lord, don't give up on them. Lord, keep Your Holy Spirit near them. Help them to be convicted. Help their eyes to be opened that they can make the decision for You. Because the truth is, I can't make that decision for them. And God is not going to force that decision on them. They need to come to a place where their heart is understanding the truth that God loves them and longs to deliver them from that. I, I want to encourage us today because I know that there are a number of times I've dealt with people that have said, Pastor, I've prayed and prayed and prayed for this person. And God just doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. That doesn't mean God's not working. Those things we need to continue to pray for. Those things we need to continue to be fervent in. We need to make sure there are no other things in our life that are hindering that prayer. But we need to make sure that we do not give up in those areas. We don't pray one time for a lost soul and cast it at Jesus' feet and say, that's enough, I've done my duty. Those are the things we need to be importunate about. The things that are needs in our life, material things, I think certainly. We pray, we cast them at Jesus' feet, and we don't worry about them anymore. We leave them with Him. Those are for Him to deal with. Be anxious for nothing, the Bible says. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. We need to understand that there are so many promises that God gives us of praying by faith and receiving. Make sure we're praying the right way. Make sure we're praying for the right things. Because it is possible to ask amiss. It is possible to pray for such things that we have no right to pray for. For us to pray that God would overcome the free will of a man is not ours to ask for but for us to pray that the Holy Spirit of God would continue to work on that heart and help them see their need. That we have a right to ask for. And those are the things we ought to be praying for. I hope that will help us when it comes to our prayer life.
Because I think there are a number of us here today that have over the years prayed, Lord, change that person. Help them to be what I want them to be. And then we've, we've come back and said, Lord, I just don't understand why. Why haven't you answered? Why haven't you done this? It's a good thing we're praying for. We've been fervent. We've done it with faith. Why isn't this being answered? Perhaps we're asking amiss. And in praying for these folks, I think we need to be asking the Lord, Lord, help me to pray correctly. Help me to pray rightly. Help me to pray for the right thing in their life that will draw them to You. So I hope that will be a help to us. Let's not get discouraged. Let's not, let's not get to the place where we've prayed and we said, I just haven't seen God answer, so I'm just going to quit. I think there's always a reason for it. We must always make sure that we're praying rightly. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed and eyes closed. Now, I know the message has been more of a teaching time today than a preaching time, perhaps. But maybe we've been praying incorrectly for folks for a long time. Maybe we've been praying for the wrong things in their life. Maybe we've given up on someone. Maybe we've prayed for so many years.